Hello, and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host, Jason Hammond. Hey, how's it going? I think um, today's topic is uh, off-season weight loss. Right, so uh, let's start off right away with, uh, when is this a good idea? Like, who are you, is sort of thing. And um, I think that people who want to lose weight in the off-season, maybe they want to be a good climber. And this is a good time for them to do it. So, for example, you struggle to lose weight in the base or during the season. I know a lot of people, a lot of books say you should be losing weight during the season just because your training is hard enough. And I don't think I or any of my friends have lost weight during the season. I think we all gain weight. So if, if you really, it's important for you to be lean just because, you know, you want to be that that rider who's super lean or um, you know, maybe your preferred discipline is really hilly races. Um, maybe the right time to lose weight is the off season for you. Um, other things are, uh, for example, if your body fat percentage is outside, um, what is recommended for a cyclist? If your terrain demands it once again, like for example, NorCal, you could be, you can be pretty big and, uh, still be like a solid P12 rider. And it's just because it's so flat and, uh, it's also very long races. So, um, you know, someone here, maybe not as much, but maybe if, you know, there really are, you live in an area where there's short steep hills and there is a certain demand for weight, um, mm-hmm. categorization, you might, um, be, you know, you might be looking at your off season as a good opportunity to lose some weight. Um, so you could also be like maybe just a recreational rider who, uh, rides, you know, maybe you're riding for weight loss. Maybe you're just riding for fun and, um, you know, you're losing weight, but you want to take an off season, you know, per our off season episode. Um, but you still want to continue to lose weight. Like, how can I do it without riding my bike? This, this could be you as well. So, um, just a little bit about, uh, is this a good idea? So most psych, uh, most professional cyclists, they'll either stay lean in the winter. So, um, I've seen interviews, some pros don't like losing weight, uh, again in the spring when they have to. And other riders would prefer to pig out in October and November. And then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get lean when it comes time. And I remember Froome did a, um, he did the performance test that, you know, some people were saying it's not physically possible for him mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. you know, he has to be using a motor or whatever. And when he did the test, it was in the off season and they reported him at like 16% body fat and, um, I think that makes sense. Like 10% body fat loss, you know, throughout the spring. I think that that's pretty reasonable, but you know, remember he's a professional cyclist and, um, you know, if you want to maximize your training during the time when you're training, maybe the off season's the time to lose weight. Well, I think that's a good point, right? Because when you get into the more intense aspects of your training, you need to have fairly high carbohydrate intake and you don't want your train to be limited by fueling Right, like you don't want to be like underfueled and trying to do a really hard threshold workout. That's just, right. that's going to lead to an ineffective workout. So you, when you get to that point in your training, you want to be fueled and ready to go. Right. So there there are other times to lose weight. I we're going to do a uh, a weight loss during the base season episode because I've had a lot of success losing weight during the base season. But other people aren't um, aren't able to do that, or uh, maybe their base season doesn't isn't a, quite a traditional base season. Uh, they don't really have three or four days a week to do their three to four hour rides and instead have to rearrange things. And it just makes it harder to use your base miles to lose weight. This could be a good option. So 
Um, remember, this is sort of generic weight loss goal stuff is don't really pick a number. Um, it's not really useful to say, um, well, I just want to be this weight. And, um, you know, really asking, why do you want to be that weight? And if your answer is, well, if my threshold stays the same from last year and I'm this weight, then, you know, then my watts per kilo is X number, which is a good number for my region. That's a little bit better justification than just, I want to be this weight. Fair, but I think to really, you know, for to move watts per kilo, moving the kilos for a lot of people is going to affect the that total number a lot less than the ability to move the watts. Right, especially if you're relatively untrained. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that's important is, if you are undrained, um, at the end of the day, watts are going to be the best thing um, to improve on. But at the same time, if you can improve the watts and drop the kilos, sure, it's a it's done, a win win. You've done very well, and uh, I actually was able to do that this past winter, and I I had a, a great start to the season because um, my numbers like really improved, and I remember uh, my coach was freaking out about my metrics, like, oh my gosh, they're they're so much higher. And it's like, well, I lost 8% of my body weight. So, you know, there's 8% on all these metrics right away. Right. And um, there is something to be said for being lighter. And especially if um, you're a snappy rider, remember F equals MA. And if if you can produce the same amount of force, like this is what we were saying, if, if you're outside the body fat range for a cyclist and you can get within that range and you, you know, you spared your muscle mass, you haven't lost any watts that acceleration that a value is gonna go way through the roof if you can get that m value down and mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely noticeable even with a five pound loss a four pound loss you can definitely feel the snappiness increase oh yeah i mean that's a little more than two full water bottles right like ride your bike with water bottles and without it it's different mm-hmm. and so another thing that could be useful is something like a dexa scan or another body fat mm-hmm. uh, thing in in order to get a bigger picture of what you're actually doing so if you want to lose weight and you get a dexa and you're already four percent no like you don't get to lose weight you know sort of thing well yeah you're getting to unhealthy at that point so interesting story about that is i have one of these you know bathroom scales that purports to report body fat percentage Mm -hmm. and i yeah i sort of take it with a grain of salt like okay that's fine that seemed like ballpark it seemed reasonable and then so finally i was like all right you know what I can go get a DEXA scan just to see, like, just to see how well these things correlate. And lo and behold, like, it was within, you know, a couple tenths of 1%. Hmm. It's like, okay, so I don't, you know, I feel confident, provided my scale doesn't lose accuracy over time, that knowing that data point from my scale gives me a fair, you know, a fair uh, representation of what I would actually see uh, using a DEXA or another more advanced technique. Right, that's really interesting. I I know that um, most scales are not that. Yeah, uh, I was. I believe me, I was floored. Like, what? Wow, these things line up really well. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, you know. Yeah, and I think especially cyclists. So the the way those scales work is they measure the current through, mm-hmm. you know, basically from your foot to your hip to your foot, and you know, us cyclists have big quads, and that um, affects the resistance. And so they they just match the resistance up. Your the resistance and your height are matched to some generic uh, standardized yep. um, weight scale. So maybe your scale uses a different. Um, it does. Algorithm it does have some adjustment for activity level, right? It's like, okay. are you sedentary to you know very active and it gives you parameters um Mm. to account for that and naturally i fall in like the like whatever highest bracket is and so you know i put that in and the the other you know height and then you know obviously weight it 
figures yeah. out. And so, yeah, I know I, I have to, I'll, you know, I'm hundred percent honest. I was totally floored when I did the DEXA and I, you know, looked at that. I was like, wow, these things are quite well aligned. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, I think another thing that's um, interesting about weight loss is sort of wrapping your head around if you're really a good candidate for it. And I think there are a lot of strong lean athletes who are like, wouldn't it be great if I was three kilos lighter and they just get in their head like I should be this weight and mm-hmm. they're really not the right candidate. It's someone who is higher body fat percentage who can who can get away with the weight loss and not have any power reduction. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, maybe if, if you're willing to have a, a power loss, if, it, you know, you really are like a pure climber and that's really your specialization. And, you know, even if you're not a um, competitive athlete, there are some riders who, especially around here, we have some of these you know, famous climbs like Old La Honda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my season goal is just to post a 16 minute, you know, okay, you know, you could lose some weight if, you know, even if you're super strong. You know, at the end of the day, the way the math works with some of these climbs is if, if you're really trying to time trial the, the climb, you should just be lighter, you know, in, and be willing mm-hmm. to take the loss. So um, do the math on it. But I think uh, for the most part, a lot of, you know, my personal opinion is a lot of people could lose weight. Um, I think the people who can't are the ones who are most interested in it, which is kind of funny. Um, the, the irony. <laughs> yeah. You know, all the pe- all the really lean people sort of know the value of being lean and then they want to hold on to it. and. Um, once you start losing weight, I think, you know, and you reach a good body weight in cycling, you really start to understand like what race weight means. And, mm-hmm. um, you start to appreciate, you know, the difference between your training weight and your race weight. And, um, you start to get really fast when you're at your, your race weight, you know, in season really fit. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it's key to say like, race weight is not necessarily always the lowest possible weight that your body can, can work at. Right. Sometimes it's like half a kilo more or a kilo more and you, you realize your body just functions better at that weight and you perform better. Right. And it is that equation. Right. So sometimes one kilo on the on the bottom is compensated by several kilos at, you know, at the top or several watts at the top. Right. And it's all it's mm-hmm. all good. Right. It's, you know, you add one kilo, but you added seven watts and it's actually a net, a net good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is like Tour de France riders. They're not, if you look at the BMI of most GC riders, they're still in the normal range. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because we think they're like severely underweight and actually they're, you know, they have plenty of weight. They're not that light. If you compare to sort of how light they could be, if, if it was a weight loss competition, that's very different than, you know, the Tour de France. Yeah. Well, I mean, those guys are very lean, but they're very muscular and, you know, muscle is more dense than fat and right? and um you know they're muscular in the right spot only correct and that that's another very thing specifically that's, developed yeah yeah that is yes they i think they look super lean because when you look at their upper bodies like oh they don't have a, a whole lot of arm uh muscle to speak of but if you look at their thighs right yeah a lot of, there's you know substantial muscle mass there if there's one thing that's true across all professional cyclists is a lot of thigh muscle mass and a lot of butt muscle mass mm-hmm and uh, you can't get away from that no matter what. So that's what uh, drives the pedals, right? Yeah. And, and, that, and that really should be like an important part of your training is really making sure those are both really strong and really functional. So let's, uh, let's say, so, you know, we have a month off season. We're just going to use this hypothetical, like maybe six pounds is something that's realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, also, what's interesting is uh, I remember doing this four corner crit with another rider uh, and we were talking about Patterson's Pass, which is a big hilly race coming up a, a couple weeks later. And um, 
I was like, yeah, you know, I feel a bit heavy. You know, I'm, I'm like 155. So, you know, uh, you know, and he was like, 155, I'm 200 pounds. And it's like, whoa, you're 200 pounds. And, you know, the reality is I'm 5'8". He's 6'4". You know, he's um, he's a crit rider, just this massive, powerful dude. Mm-hmm. You know, guess who won the, you know, he didn't win the race, but he, I think he got second. You know, I got like 10th or something. And it's it's like, okay, maybe he could lose weight. Yeah, he has, you know, he, he's not the most toned, lean rider. He beat me, though. So let's keep in context, you know, what are we really trying to do? And, um, you know, at the end of the day, he, you know, he beat me. He's 45 pounds heavier than me. You know, how to, you know, keep everything in context. Yep. He's also got a lot more watts than you, right? Yeah, he's got a lot of watts. Got a lot of watts for sure. Uh, so this is, this is an easy topic, right? It's, uh, you know, calories in less than calories out over time equals weight loss. That's all there is yeah, to it. So yeah, Todd almost didn't even want to do this, right? Like, uh, well, it's easy just to eat less than you put out. So yes, there's a lot of people who don't like, so it's called. Um, it's yeah, yes, but right. Yeah. It's like CICO is the you know calories in calories out is this sort of simple mantra for losing weight and i think the people who who use cico are the ones who lose weight easily and um sort you know the the idea is really simple physics you know dictates if we're a closed system you know the the mass we store the fat we store is just a solid form of energy so if we can send more energy into the environment than we put into our own system then the net energy and mass of our system goes down. So, you know, it's this idea of we should burn more than we eat, which, you know, that makes sense on a very basic level. Mm-hmm. And the trick here is though is that, you know, a lot of people when they when they say that, they right away people think, so I need to eat less is their response to calories in, calories out. And the truth is, you have to remember what we said. The calories in has to be less than the calories out. So you can eat less, but you can also increase your calories out. So it's it's a fine balance. And the truth is there's more ways to achieve your goal than just eating less. And I think it's, it's you know, we're as humans really built around this concept of homeostasis, right? We're always trying to find this center point. Intuitively or subconsciously, even your, your body's very good at getting you making you hungry when you need more calories, right? Or when the, the perception is that you need more calories. So I think that's one of the challenges around weight loss. And it's also like there's a certain precision to it, right? So for example, there's about 3,500 energy calories in a pound of fat. Uh, so, you know, average American diet is supposedly 2,000 calories a day, more or less. And you know, if you say an energy gel is about 100 calories, if you miss... If you overeat by an energy gel a day for an entire month, that's basically an extra pound. And that's pretty trivial. Like if you look at food, it's not an energy gel. That's not a whole lot of extra food. On the flip side of that, that's not a whole lot less food to eat to lose a pound, right? Right. So it, it, I think it is very like it's very precise if you when you start to talk about like just little fluctuations and well, so accumulate over time. Something that a lot of people who don't like the calories in calories out model, they argue that, well, actually your metabolism changes as mm-hmm. you change your food. So it's not as simple as, well, just eat one energy gel less. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes some people respond well to increasing by one energy gel and they don't gain any weight. They just have one energy gel worth of energy more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was uh, one study I found, I was looking up, 
the effects of fat on recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, does, you know, do, you know, what if I have almond butter after my ride with my other recovery stuff? Will that be beneficial? And I, I ended up finding a study of female professional cyclists and they all were, um, they increased their fat consumption by, I think like 14%, uh, but kept everything else the same. And I think only one cyclist even gained weight. The other ones just increased their kilojoules during their rides by 14%. And so, you know, it, it's not so easy as, well, just eat more, just eat less. Right. Your body responds and it's this feedback loop of if I feed it more, it'll use more. If I feed it less, it'll use less. And the idea here is we need to feed it less, but we need it to keep the same level or increase. Mm-hmm. And the main way that we do that is through low calorie options that are also low carbs. I think that the main thing here is we get hunger cravings when we have low carb uh, stores in our body. And um, the trick is to do workouts that don't deplete our blood sugar levels that quickly. Um, so some things like walking, uh, swimming, if you you know, do endurance swimming, um, hiking also, um, even something like casual soccer with friends. These are like low intensity, intensity exercises, and they can, um, help us burn mostly fat. Um, and our body doesn't really crave food or think that we need to replace the energy nearly as much as if we did something that was very, um, blood sugar heavy, like carb intense. Well, you know, I think if you just look at it, it, it makes a lot of sense, right? So how many grams of glycogen can we store? Roughly 500, say. Um, so that's 2,500 calories, right? How many grams of fat does even, or like how many kilojoules or kilocalories of fat energy does even the leanest person have? Uh, probably at least 100,000, mm-hmm. right? So if you deplete fat, you know, if you, so if you do an activity that burns 500 calories, right? If that's all carb energy, you've depleted 20% of your store. If that's all fat energy and you're already super lean, you've completed depleted 5% of your store. 5%, heck, that probably barely, you know, moves the needle as far as your body's going. It's like, eh, okay, missing a little bit. No, yeah. no, 100,000? That's not even 5%. That's yeah. half, of, half a percent. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I mean, it's just the order of magnitude. So uh, it's um, if, if you want to lose weight and you don't want hunger cravings, you want to burn fat. And burning fat occurs at lower exercise intensities. Mm-hmm. And uh, this off season when you're not riding is a great time to go for a walk. Um, so I know like during my off season, so hiking is also really popular. It's sort of the more extreme version of walking. And <laughs> I guess I think, I think extreme walking is parkour, but you know. Okay. So, well, I, I call it more extreme because um, if you do like a day hike, you know, okay, maybe you walk around the neighborhood for an hour. That's a little different than like a day hike, which is a six hour walk. Sure. And uh, both are similar intensities, but, um, you know, you get six hours of fat burning. And that's really the trick is uh, because you're doing it at lower intensities, you know, when you're walking, you know, maybe you can get 300 calories. And if you got more than 300 calories, you wouldn't be burning just fat anymore. So, you know, you get 300 calories per hour. That's not that much. It's not nearly as much as if you did some high intensity training, which could be eight or nine hundred mm-hmm. calories, but it's all fat. And so... Can you do three hours of walking at 300 calories an hour? And that's pure fat versus that 900 calorie one hour, which is predominantly 80 or 90% carbs. So that's probably the biggest trick in terms of increasing your calories out 
is these low intensity exercises that you're going to be doing um, every day or, you know, every other day to try and increase, you know, your energy expenditure. And I think that's consistent with the philosophy of an off season, right? Not necessarily doing high intensity efforts, but doing something a little more casual and recuperating. Yep. So it, it, it falls right into place to be able to do these lower intensity things and lose weight through them. And the trick here is, um, say you're able to do these lower intensity exercises, then now it's time to look at the calories in. So uh, one really interesting thing that I read was that um, it was an interview with a bodybuilder who was uh, up and coming. And he said, uh, bodybuilding is 90% diet. Okay. And it's crazy because when you, you know, you watch the documentary about documentary about Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, you just see all these images of him in the gym and you see all the sets he did and they talk about how much hard work he did. And for this bodybuilder to say, well, it's actually 90% of what you put in your, you know, just the food you put in your body and it's 10%. Yeah. 10% is the gym, but 90% is the diet. And I think that's true, especially in, in this situation as well, losing weight in the off season. Same thing. It's it's about what you put in your body. At least ninety percent of the mental effort is about that, right? Is like that's the, true too. You can you can go do the workout, and that can on some level be a little bit brainless. Uh, you know whether whether or not you make it, you know, intentional and focused is one thing. But I think the focus on especially for bodybuilders at the margin, uh, that stuff is like super super focused on you know different nutrients and you know right macronutrient balance and all those things to get that look they're looking for. Right. So our goal here is to actually make every calorie as useful as possible when, when it comes to consuming calories, when you're trying to lose weight. So for example, the, you know, this is like a, almost a stereotypical example, like the ice cream that you're eating at 10 PM, right before you go to bed, your body's not really going to use that. Your body's shutting down for the evening. Um, you know, it doesn't really have a place for it. That that would be an example of calories that are not really useful. Mm -hmm. Something like oatmeal in the morning with chia seeds, that's going to take some time to digest. It gives you the sugars you need you know, to get your brain working. Something like that, you're, you're going to digest it over four hours. You're going to use that entire bowl of oatmeal in a really useful way. And that would be an example of like a great use of your calories. If you only have, you know, X number of calories, say, say you're trying to budget. I, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea to exactly budget, but if you stick to these ideas of how do I get the most value out of my food? I think that the, the weight loss will come with time. Yeah. I think it's like making a distinction between nutrient dense food and energy dense food. All right. So energy dense food is tends to be like very fatty. Right or very like mm -hmm. sugar or carb laden, and nutrient dense food is not necessarily that. I mean, I think you know maybe you can make some some argument for you know healthy fats certainly. Right, like having a piece of salmon. Yeah, that's fairly energy dense too because there's the healthy fats there and there's protein. Uh, now, when I talk about nutrient dense, this tends to be the fruits and the vegetables. Right, there's not a ton of carbohydrates there there's not a ton of energy per unit volume but there's a ton of vitamins in there there's a ton of like, useful stuff for your body to use you know in a cup of spinach or in carrots or you know name your name your fruit or vegetable um, yeah. that's not as energy dense as some of the other foods and there are some arguments about the reason we have hunger cravings are because we don't have enough micronutrients and so 
you know, you get these hunger cravings and then you eat white bread, which doesn't have the nutrient that you need. And your body says, well, I'm still hungry because I need this micronutrient. Mm-hmm. And so those also are not useful calories. So the calories that come with all the nutrients you need, and it's especially uh, important to have nutrient dense food when you're decreasing your total calorie intake. So when you're eating 5,000 calories a day because you're doing this massive endurance ride every day, you'll get your nutrients because right. you're eating 5,000, 6,000 calories a day. Right. As long as you don't just eat white bread for 6,000 yeah. calories, you yeah, you have, you have some variety in your palate. Then you know, you'll, you'll hit your number. But if you get 1,500 calories, then you, know, you really need to get the most value out of each of those uh, individual calories. So um, on the topic of you know, how do we get the most value out of these calories, I think one thing that's important is because our goal is to be leaner and we want to lose fat, we don't really want to lose muscle, is you need to increase your protein intake. And not just um, having a lot of protein, uh, you know, for example, you know, during the season you want like 120 grams is like a good ballpark for basically everybody. Like 120 grams is not too much, but you know, if, you know, no matter what your size, if you hit that number, you're, you're probably good and you can still get enough um, carbs and fat to, you know, fuel yourself as well. During the, during the weight loss period, you actually want to increase your protein even more. So I know there's a particular chart where there's this um, exponential curve regarding the amount of weight loss in terms of uh, reduction in energy expenditure relative to baseline. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're losing, like I want to decrease, I want to eat a thousand calories less than I burn per day. There's an exponential curve with the amount of protein that you need in order to not have any muscle mass losses with the um, decrease in calorie intake. So that's what makes it especially difficult to lose weight and to maintain muscle is you have to increase your protein intake as you decrease your calorie intake. So the protein ends up being an even larger portion of Mm -hmm. your total consumption as you decrease your overall food. So, you know, thinking, oh, I don't get to eat as much. I'd like that to be useful in the form of oatmeal. But it actually needs to be protein in order for you to not lose the muscle mass. And then, well, now I get less oatmeal, so then I have even less energy. So that's why really extreme weight loss stuff doesn't really work. And, and that makes sense. Our body, when we really underfuel it, is like uh, panic stations. And you know, it starts to break down your muscles for energy and really just does whatever it takes oh, to and survive. It, it, and it goes the other way, right? It goes into conservation mode. So any extra calories it wants to hold on to right and conserve it's like oh famine's coming i need to save everything for you know to survive until there's more food and you go into this other mode right it's actually counterproductive for trying to lose weight here and like concert you know conservation and and save everything you want to just you know lose a little bit but be consistent like a little bit every day you know lean into the protein a little bit more Um, look for complex carbs nutrient dense foods these are good options and then uh, the other thing is to try and skimp later in the day so um, I call this pre-eating, but basically you're, you're trying to anticipate low energy mm-hmm. moments and you want to eat before then. Um, and also low energy moments are a good time to binge eat, which is right. also detrimental right. to your goals. So uh, for example, when you get up, you want to have a big meal at the start of the day because you know you need that energy throughout the day. You're, you're eating for the day. And then, um, you know, middle of the day, same thing, maybe a little bit less because you know, maybe you only have a few more hours of work. Um, and then in the evening, you know, say you did your walk in the evening or something, you know, how much do you really need for dinner? 
yes you, you should you should eat like uh, a big breakfast and a small dinner which i think is totally like the reverse of the american mindset yeah. around how meals should be right like a little bit for breakfast a little bit more for lunch and a lot for dinner and really the way the energy demand works throughout the day it should be flipped on its head yeah so yeah the normal american diet is the opposite of um what we'd expect our energy expenditure to be so uh, a good way to lose weight I, i've heard people who like all they did was not eat after 7 p.m and like otherwise no changes to their diet and they, they've lost like huge amounts of weight and it's just you know eat, it turns out eating before seven my body used those calories as useful calories and then it turns out everything that i had after seven was you know much less useful yeah i mean i think i like the way i think it was tim ferris put in his book is like don't think it don't call it a diet just think of it as a way of eating right like this is these these are the basic principles i'm going to follow for eating with this objective in mind right so whatever i'm not going to eat after seven i'm going to eat you know more proteins i'm going to eat bigger breakfast i just these are these are the simple rules and then you have to feel like well i can i have to eat you know 17 carrots per day because that's the thing i have to do like just you know make simple rules because simple rules are actually much easier to adhere to mm-hmm. than like these very complex things uh, to try to figure out uh, around this diet yeah i mean keep it simple uh i think this is actually pretty simple uh you know, try and increase your low intensity exercises. They're good for you anyway in the off season. Um, try to eat nutrient dense foods. Try to eat earlier in the day, um, and try and get enough sleep. It's also yeah. really important. And I think the other thing that you know probably falls out of all these advice uh, and all these tips that we're giving is basically two things. So one, with we know with two particular macronutrients, protein and fiber, these actually increase your sensation of being full um, you you feel more satisfied and so you're less likely to eat um, and like fiber doesn't really you don't really burn fiber right like that's not really energy um, it's it's very healthy for you to have good fiber in your diet um, but it's not necessarily like energy like uh, the other carbohydrates so i think the, the more you can get those things and conveniently nature has packaged these things together and things like beans right fiber and protein and complex carbohydrates a fantastic food mm-hmm. and i think one thing to be careful with is actually taking that to the extreme is having like too much fiber too much protein and mm-hmm. you end up being really full but really tired mm-hmm. and you know that's almost just as bad as um, being hungry and overeating because you know you're just there and you can't get your work done you can't um you know, that's another thing that I have in my notes is um, you're not allowed to be grumpy to your friends or partner, you know, while you're doing this off-season weight loss. So you have to, you know, okay, you only get to lose six pounds and not eight pounds this month, uh, you know, whatever. But, you know, at least you weren't a Scrooge the whole month. And uh, we do need, a, I think that carb intake is the biggest regulator of uh, mood, I think. So if you, you know, if you notice maybe you're a little cranky. Um, you may have to increase your carbs, even if you're trying to really reduce them. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. So the only other thing that I want to say about diet is um, I actually, I tried keto for a little while, like a month and a half last off season. And I didn't lose weight, but I got like really lean. I, I think I gained weight, but I got really strong. Um, it was just really good for gaining muscle mass and getting lean. Um 
but you know certainly not something to do during the season you need your carbs when you're riding and racing well there are those studies out there uh talk about doing you know high fat diets and cycling um your nutrient load and training on high fat diet but mm-hmm. that's this is another discussion well i think if you're a competitive cyclist uh in the current disciplines i'm not so sure um, i don't think also well okay uh, i think i i think i see a future episode yeah. here the debate around i can argue about uh, this. high high fat diets sure but um yeah i don't know it's interesting that I, yeah, I get really lean and I get really like really strong when I have, when I do a high fat diet, but, um, I do not get faster on the bike. So it just depends on what your goal is. Absolutely. And then, uh, the last thing we talk, we want to talk about and, um, Todd maybe jumped the gun. I didn't give him advanced warning, but the last thing is uh, sort of the flip on the head of, do you really need to lose weight is, uh, really the question that you have to make sure that you have the right answer to. And, um, I think that a lot of coaches argue, you know, basically every coach I've had who I've wanted to lose weight. And I think that I had good justification for losing weight. They almost unanimously said, we want you to be stronger, not lighter. And from a development perspective, that is correct. So, uh, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a junior, if you're a budding, uh, cyclist, this is your third year, you're not going to. You know, you're not going to be a cat one next year, probably. Um, that one, that one person's going to prove yeah, you wrong. Yeah, they're, they're going to be in the comments. Uh, well, actually, I. Um, but you know, your, you know, your trajectory as a cyclist. I mean, it takes eight years, ten years to really get to your highest level of cycling. And mm-hmm. um, if you're going to lose weight in your third year, and it's going to take away from your ability to train your threshold and train your um, you know, your VO2 max for that year because you're underfueled, then, you know, you, you've lost a year. It's now going to be nine years instead of eight years for you to reach your maximum potential. And, um, you know, did you really need to lose the weight, you know, for this year? Or could you have just gotten, you know, the equal amount stronger? Yeah. And I think we're, we, I mean, we kicked, we kicked this around before, but, you know, one kilo, five or six watts, you know, Five or six watts, if you're on a good training program, especially if you're early in your development, that's not that much, yeah. right? I mean, it's really not not that much. I mean, yes, it's gonna it's gonna come over time, and you know, if you if you're at the peak peak, right, uh, pinnacle of your performance, you're ten years in, you've been you know putting in the miles year after year, getting another six, seven, ten watts, that might be pretty darn hard if you've got everything dialed. Um, uh, yeah, but if you're you're early on. You know, this might happen in a couple of months just from the, the training stimulus and everything. So I think having, like having that perspective of kind of where you are on this journey and what's just understanding what's more likely to change of those two things. And hey, look, if, as we said earlier, if you can change both of them, great. Yep. And, um, you know, the same, I, I mentioned this same guy uh, pretty often, but the, you know, this very high level cat one always, he was very weight loss focused and. Um, he said he's never hit the same power numbers that he did when he first started riding uh, for whatever reason. I think I think he was a cross-country skier before that. But he said every progression he made involved a decrease in body weight. For him, that was improving as a rider. Mm-hmm. And that's because he was always very strong, very competent athlete from other sports. And his weakness was just 
you know, the, the way the math worked out with his weight. Mm-hmm. And so he was very determined to be this very lean rider. And he felt that was something that he could really, you know, gain an advantage in. And I think that, you know, he's also like quite an experienced rider. He's, he's had many years riding and okay. Yeah. There's probably not much more frontier with your aerobic capacity. Your, you know, your aerobic capacity peaks at 28. Uh, you can usually hold on to it uh for you know up to like 50 right like it, it really doesn't some, decay. some of the masters athletes are quite impressive yeah so it really doesn't decay much after 28 but it also doesn't really go up your, mm-hmm. your maximum capacity so um you know you're 32 and you know yeah i keep hitting the same threshold numbers every year it's not looking great like it's really going to go up mm-hmm. maybe we need to look at different avenues to extract some value so one another thing that um comes with being lean is uh, that I saw an aerodynamic study that said for every three kilos that you lose, mm-hmm. you get a 3% aerodynamic advantage hmm. on a flat road. So uh, that's another thing is if you're carrying extra body fat around, you're, you know, you're a bigger sail in the wind. So that could be another justification that, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we're in NorCal and we have really big, really strong riders. Um, they're still beating, you know, little old Jason, but um you know, if, if they were able to lose six kilos and get 6% faster aerodynamically, they'd really like that. Um, but, you know, how much less power do they have then? And finding that balance. Um, if you believe that, you know, you do the math, you get the DEXA scan, you say, hey, I can lose this weight and not lose any power. I think I can. Then go for it. I would, I would encourage you to do that. But, um, you know, if you're already pretty lean, it, it might be, um, might not be the best idea. So. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's probably something that you talk through with your coach, but then you may also learn from experience a little bit. Like if you go and say, oh, well, I think, I think the math works out. Maybe I should do this. I'm kind of on the leaner side, but and you start to, you know, lose the weight and see your performance go down. I think you have the answer to your question. Like that experiment's done. Yeah. Uh, Michael Hutchinson in his book said he always wanted to be a 69 kilo rider and you know, one season, it was the worst season of his professional career. He was a 69 kilo rider. And then the next year he went up to 72 and, you know, he started setting records again. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I wonder how many pros have to have that season of learning. Um, I think most, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's like we said before, it's not your lowest number. I think in terms of what's, what you're fastest at, it's not the lowest number you can be. It's something a little bit more for sure. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's off-season weight loss. We're going to have an, a base weight loss one as well. We'll probably rehash some of these same uh, weight loss goals. But um, yeah, the big thing, keep the intensity low, uh, stay active, uh, and keep the value in your food. And uh, really, if you know, the big thing is making a conscious decision to go for this and then uh, sticking to it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other piece is try to make it as easy on yourself as possible. Set yourself some simple rules to follow uh, in order to reach your goals. Um, no, no complicated math to try to figure out what you're supposed to eat at, you know, 3 p.m. to reach your weight yeah, loss goals. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's the off season. So get excited for the races to start in uh, what, six months, five or six months. Yeah, I guess depending so, on where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if you're excited about the upcoming race season, that also helps a lot to reach your goals. So. Yeah, that, that extra motivation for sure. Yep. And uh so yeah, if you liked our episode, um, you know, feel free to share it with your friends or um, you know, repost it or uh, like, comment, uh, give us a review, and uh, as Todd always says, 
keep the rubber side down, and we'll see you next time on the Performance Cycling Podcast.